0: Christina Bellantoni is a professor of professional practice at the University of Southern California and the director of USC's Annenberg Media Center. A former roll call editor in chief, who has covered politics for the Los Angeles Times, the PBS NewsHour, and several other publications, she's teaching the next generation of journalists now. That includes leading her students into reporting trips most recently in Texas and in Central Virginia. Christina, welcome back to Political Theater
1: always one of my favorite experiences. Thank you, Jason.
0: In your role uh, after, after you left the Los Angeles Times and went to USC, uh, we got you uh, in the podcast studio two years ago, almost to the date in March 2019, when you were taking a, a group of students out here. And I was looking at that podcast, looking at it, that's an odd Phraseology for an audio medium. Uh, I was listening to the podcast and also um, just remembering it. Uh, one of the things that that struck me about it was that you talked about how journalism was so under fire, uh, particularly during the administration of of Donald Trump uh, when he was in the White House. And you said that in that era, and and in the in the era sort of of fake news, uh, when when there was such distrust in the media, that that was a real motivator for your students back then is that still true are they still motivated to to get beyond some of the distrust that people have uh of, of the media now that we're in a uh, we're not quite in a post-trump era but we are but he's no longer president are you st- are your students still motivated to to you know be a part of the solution if you will
1: uh, it's a great question. And what's so interesting about your introduction, too, is it speaks to the sort of last year of COVID because it was actually oh my three God. years <sighs> ago and not two uh, that we were there and we had the. That's yeah. so, that's so <laughs> I funny. Know, <laughs> Sorry glowing, about right? that. Um, <laughs>
0: my God. 2019.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. But that's, you know. I keep like forgetting that it's 2022 and I'll say (laughs) 2021 in places like, Oh wait, an entire extra year went by from that. But actually that's, that's relevant to this answer because um, three years is a long time when you think, look at college students. Um, So in my case, the students that I am teaching now are either undergraduates who spent their freshman and most of their sophomore years in remote school, right? Zoom school and, or, Graduate students who decided not to pursue a graduate degree in the remote year, and instead, you know, d- d- pursue it now. Right? Maybe the journalism job market's getting a little bit better, but they wanted to to get those um, skills really honed to get get their grad degree. So they're they're a different age of the students that I brought three years ago, and Trump has explicitly defined their political universe the first assignment i had them do was just describe to me your first ever political experience now for me if i were doing that assignment it would be very clearly watching saturday live with my mother um, during the 1992 presidential race okay Right. And like, for me, that was like really, oh, okay now I'm aware of presidential politics, Dana Carvey. Right. Um, Maybe a little bit in 88, but I wasn't as, you know, paying as much attention. But 92 was like in it. Right. And so for them, I kind of expected younger experiences. But of the 18 students, at least 14 of them said, watching donald trump win the election changed everything for me and it isn't necessarily what prompted them to go into journalism per se but it is why they're taking my class like why they're interested in politics and in some cases like a profound sense of you know i am a gay person and i feel like my rights are being threatened i am somebody who is from immigrant a family of immigrants and i feel like my rights are being threatened or my family is being attacked it was very much a and a defensive posture of like, this is happening to me. Now I want to go do something about it. And that's a little bit different than those students three years ago who were kind of like in the moment with Trump and kind of seeing how the media were were treated and they were passionate in that way. So Trump has defined both groups, but this particular group is very, very personal for them. And most of them, when you talk to them about their career goals, they say they want to do documentaries. They're less interested in the hard kind of breaking news in part because they feel like, journalists aren't respected. And it's kind of a yucky business. And it is difficult work in a way that they want to be able to tell stories that actually make a difference in people's lives, which is interesting. And I've been trying to show them how political coverage can make a difference in people's lives. I'm still a bit of an idealist, you may remember from our our times working together. Just a little bit. And I like to pass that on in the classroom as well. (laughs) Just just a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, uh, the... One of the ways that you're doing this too is, as I mentioned, sort of in the in- intro remarks before I before I lost a year <laughs> there, uh, that that you, I mean, because you know things are starting to open up, uh, we feel a little safer. We're vaccinated, boosted, uh, uh, and, and so forth. You were able to take some of these uh, some of these students on the road uh, and and cover. Uh, a, a Texas primary race. Uh, Texas had had the first congressional primary of the uh, of this midterm season. And then you came out to Washington, uh, the, the Washington area, before heading down to the Richmond area to cover Abigail Spanberger's race. Uh, There's still uh, a little bit of time uh, before the Virginia primary, but Spanberger is one of those frontline Democrats who's, you know, it, that will tell us a lot about how the election is going to go, depending on what how she does in November. Talk about, you know, taking the, the, what you're thinking in terms of like taking one group to Texas and taking one group to, to Virginia.
1: Yeah. So this class that I teach, it's you know kind of basic political um, affairs and government affairs reporting, right? So it could be anything. And that's one of the nice things about being in academia is so you can kind of rewrite a syllabus as long as it's quote unquote on the books. And we are really lucky. We have some funding from a generous alumni who actually lives in Washington DC, was involved in Republican politics for many years and is quite plugged in. But this alum felt like students were not getting the real picture of what politics is like on on either side but particularly not getting any exposure to like republican ideas um you know la is definitely a liberal bubble the campus you know i had a student run an analysis and found that of all of the donations that were coming from USC professors, 99% of them went to Democrats in the presidential race, right? There's like two people who donated to Trump or his Republican rivals. So that tells you quite a bit, right, about about the group. And and so she gave us some funding and said, you know, take, take these students somewhere, show them the real world of politics. So in 2020, that was really easy because the class is from January to April. So I took them to the Iowa caucuses and the Nevada caucuses. And, you know, you can drop down, in those places they're very small you're part of the political world you're meeting presidential candidates great this class because it fell in you know January to the end of April 2022 there's not any presidential action really happening. I thought about maybe taking them somewhere like Wyoming and like, let's report the heck out of the Cheney story and what's happening to the Republican party there. But I also, you have to kind of rely on what you know and what my um, sort of background is. And I'm a complete congressional nerd and I'm especially a redistricting nerd thanks to my years at roll call, um, especially thanks to Lauren Whittington, who um, was my first supervisor when I started there in 2011. And I thought redistricting was boring just like everybody else and then pretty quickly realized like it's not boring at all. It's a story about migration. It's a story about demographic change. Um, it's a story about um, political maneuvering in 50 different places. Like it's fascinating. So what I did is I laid out the the oh. calendar of, of, okay, well, we're going to have maps. We're not going to have very many elections. What could this look like? And um, they're, they're, the class is so big that I had to split them into two trips. And one of those trips, we would use the long President's Day weekend And the other one we would use Spring Break. So actually, it just kind of naturally looked at Texas. We went as they were still doing early voting. It was actually the only weekend of early voting, and um, the students were able to go for four nights. We stayed in a big house together um, in sort of eastern or sorry western Dallas, and I identified two congressional races that were interesting. One was a primary on the left um, to replace Eddie Birdie's Johnson the 30th congressional district, and then um, what seemed like it might be actually a sleepy race, um, Congressman Van Taylor, a Republican (laughs) from Plano um, in a Trump plus 30-something district, was being primaried on the right by Republicans who claimed that he voted for the January 6th committee. It's a bit of a distortion from his actual vote because he voted for the initial one that many people voted for and not for the the second one or whatever language you guys use. In right. LTC. The
0: independent, an independent exactly. commission that would have been by by and by cameral uh, no members of right. Congress. He, he voted for right. that and, uh, and not the committee.
1: Yeah. So his rivals it. kind of distorted that. as like, you're, you're backing Pelosi, but his rivals also were saying they don't recognize Joe Biden as the duly elected president. Uh, they're very anti Kevin McCarthy. So anyhow, we, I, the students and I just covered the turf and I really take a step back and I let them, you know, okay, each of you call a candidate. Let's see what we can find out. We have pretty limited time. And so um, we went all over um, Dallas and then that that Plano area. And we went to early voting sites. We interviewed, I think they interviewed like six or seven candidates. We went to church with a candidate. We They went door knocking, kind of saw. And this was for the most part, their first exposure to politics whatsoever. And then it kind of lucked out. The Dallas Morning News found out that we were there, hadn't done much reporting on the third congressional district. So um, the students actually per- provided a feed to um, Todd Gilman, the bureau chief for the morning news. He interviewed the congressman who had totally, you know, ignored us for a week um, with calls and emails and tweets and everything else. And then they did a story that was on the front of the Metro section the weekend before the election and the students got a contributing byline. So that was great. And for me, I really wanted the two trips to have parity. So we knew we were going to DC sort of networking. It made sense to go to DC in March um, for that spring break. And I thought, well, I know Virginia very well. It's the first state that I ever covered when I moved to the East coast starting in 2003. I know the state house, they've obviously got a lot of interesting things going on with the new governor and all these clashes over education policy and mask mandates. So I'm just kind of made sense to do that. And the Spanberger race um, while Democrats actually sound quite confident about her Republicans, you know, very much saying they, they'd like, they'd like her to go. They have seven candidates in that district who are like pretty wide ranging in, um, how much support they have, and you know, early endorsements and stuff. One of them has a cruise endorsement. Um, another one is a state senator. Who, just looking at it on paper, I was like, oh, clearly that's the front runner. But actually, like the more that we talk to people, it doesn't seem like he has as much um, of a good position as some of the other candidates. And so I just set set the students free. Um, we stayed in a little town in um, rural Louisa County called Mineral. We lived in one big house on Lake Anna, and I just we would stop along the way that the in the way that. Um, Spanberger's district changed, right? Because it used to be basically the Richmond area, and then it expanded much further north um, to those exurbs, where um, it's kind of ground zero for the critical race theory debate right now, and a lot of these school boards. But also, it's where a lot of Democrats have been moving as they sort of expand from the D.C. area and federal government workers, and you know, to cheaper housing and all of those things. Like classic exurbs story. So it was great, and um, and it was really fun. And I think the students um, have have started to get a sense of what it means to to talk to people, and how do you find a story when the primary is not next week, right? What is that news hook?
0: And uh, just a couple of things about each district, which is it shows the value of plugging in and covering covering these races. When other folks, you know, going to kind of find other other priorities. Uh, one the Van Taylor race got very interesting uh, shortly after you left <laughs> because he dropped out uh, because of a scandal in which he was involved with a, a a woman who had connections to an Isis chieftain. I mean it it was it was on nobody's bingo card uh, and so he he dropped out and 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 you know, and, he, and he
1: had paid her off I think right. Wow. yes yeah <laughs> yeah he attempted to
0: pay her off yeah he attempted silence. to pay her off to to quiet the affair uh, nobody had paid off ISIS bride on their bingo card for this political race, uh, but you were there, uh, and and also just that the Dallas Morning News, you know, this is their backyard, and they were like, "Hey, great, can you help us cover this?" Uh, you know, like, I mean, like that that shows yeah. the opportunity, you know, where uh, for you know just something really interesting can happen, uh, and you never know when.
1: Well, exactly that, and and I think it I showed them like you thought you were just meeting a random you know candidate in a parking lot who is never going to have a chance. And that guy is going to be the next member of Congress, Keith Self, yep. right? Yep. So <laughs> keep that phone number, keep that you know photo of you interviewing him um, looking like a total baller, by the way, like those things are important. Yep. Um, and the fact that this candidate does not believe Joe Biden is duly elected is also important because I guarantee you that's going to end up being a theme when we get to the general election.
0: For sure. For sure. Um, and those, and those folks remember, uh, the people who paid attention to them, uh, who, who covered their race when nobody else was there. So, uh, it's, it's a real, um, you know, it's, again, it's a real motivator for, for doing these things. Uh, and then Virginia, I mean, to Spanberger, I mean, it it is slightly different district than, than a few years ago, than, than eight years ago, but, I have a very distinct memory uh, of one of the previous races in this district. Spanberger, of course, uh, (laughs) defeated Dave Bratt, uh, who was the incumbent uh, for a a few terms. Uh, Dave Bratt uh, was just sort of came out of nowhere in 2014. Uh, to uh, run a primary. He was an economics professor at a local college. And he pursued this quixotic primary quest to knock off the the House majority leader, Eric Cantor, somebody who we all regarded as a, a probable, if not likely, future Speaker of the House, uh, and, and one of the most powerful men in Washington. And you and I were, you know, it was just a regular old Tuesday, and we were putting, <laughs> putting roll call print uh, to bed, and things were, things were just sort of on cruise control, because what's more boring than a uh, primary uh, where the majority leader of the House is just going to cruise? And then we started getting <laughs> indications from some of our colleagues out there, uh, you know, people like uh, Nathan Gonzalez and Dave Wasserman at the Cook Report, saying, Brat's going to win. And, and we, you know, we just were like, what? And we had to tear up the paper. I mean, it was just this great moment. It was this great moment, a great memory that I have of, of, uh, of of you literally calling, uh, to stop the presses. Uh, like that, that who who gets to do that ever. Right. (laughs)
1: I love. I teach about that. It's my opening lecture in all of my classes, and um, you know, you you might remember the headline on that. We went very simple with like yep. a big picture of Cantor, and it just said "Stunner" yep. one hundred and one point font. And um, in addition to like the journalistic feat, which was pretty cool because some of our rivals actually didn't have it in the print edition right. um, the next day. And and for us in Washington, you know, roll call, Politico, the Hill, like those print editions still matter in congressional offices. But in addition to that, I think we really showed them. Of the team, which was well connected. Um, I remember we had reporters who went down to Barracks Row and like Boehner was drinking at some Italian restaurant and like they stayed. Cafe him Alberto. Out and <laughs> right. And then, um, you know, David Hawkins had like pulled in some good history, but it, then our data team re- realized that no. Republican majority leader had ever lost their seat in a primary in 187 years (laughs) since the position was created, you know, which is just like so insane, right? And um, just such a testament to the fact that a few people matter. I mean, he Brat won that race by fewer than 8,000 votes, and that's a you know very close race that nobody was paying attention to, and it changed the trajectory of the entire Republican Party. I mean, I would argue he's the the reason that uh, we ended up with Speaker Paul Ryan. Mm -hmm. because, you know, Boehner had to say sayonara and, um, it just, it it changed the sort of tension between the House Freedom Caucus and everything. So of course I nerded out and I told my students all that Virginia history while we were there. Um, and it was great.
0: (laughs) It it really was. And, and again, like I, I, I mean, this is the, the thing that I hope, um, you know, your, your students also realize in watching you work uh, and, and, you know, I I met them uh, when, when you had them in Washington, we showed them around the newsroom last week is that there is, there is fun. Uh, in, in in this profession it is it is it is a lot of fun it can be very tiring it can be dangerous at times uh there it, it's complicated but th- there's nothing that kind of matches those those moments um and and there's a lot uh, there's a lot of joy uh in in journalism um, and, and we got to experience some of that also last week because, uh, you were, you had seen, shown your, your students off and you were staying in, uh, in, in town for a, an extra night before heading back to California yourself, uh, you and your family were at an, uh, an Airbnb. And, uh, you know, we gathered a few of our, uh, our friends, uh my my wife, Fawn Johnson, who you've known longer than you've known me and and a couple of other folks. Uh and and then the dean of the house, Don Young, died at like nine nine thirty at night. <laughs> and I had my laptop and I just thought, well, I know I know that this I c I can do this quickly. And again, getting to your preparation uh as a as an editor. Um, you know, you had Bridget Bowman, who's now the deputy uh, political director at NBC, do an obit for Don Young, like nine years ago, um, when she was when she was <laughs> just starting out at Roll Call as either an editorial assistant or even she might have even still been an intern. But you had her do the bones of of a Don Young obit uh, because he was in his 80s at that point still, um, and I was able to. to Quickly take that and turn it around and put the new, uh, the news and and update it real quickly and get it out. And our colleague Tom Williams has this great photo of us quite literally working, you know, together. Even though you know we've uh, we haven't shared a newsroom since twenty fifteen, but it was a it was a really great moment. And I, I hope I, I, I hope that somehow this makes it into one of your lectures too with your with your students.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, when it, the alert first came out, um, Abby Livingston, you know, is in the room and she informs us, another former roll caller. And it's kind of like we're literally in one of the only rooms on the planet where everybody knows who Don Young is and understands <laughs> the significance of him dying. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think the, the lesson I wanted to stress for my students, particularly the group that came to Virginia and D.C., was the importance of relationships. And I do think, you know, and I guess this is a humble brag or whatever but I've worked at a lot of places and I have a lot of deep connections and a lot of those connections opened some doors for them this week, right? They haven't gotten to go to many newsrooms and like you gave us a tour of this beautiful CQ Roll Call newsroom that was, you know, they were completely in awe of like what this could look like, you know, COVID's got everything closed down. We weren't able to go to a lot of places and like, then they got to um, see the Capitol and um, a couple of us interviewed Adam Schiff um, for a few minutes, like that day that it was pouring rain and A couple of the students got in to talk to him, like off the house floor and things like that. You know, that's because of people that I've met along the way and and relationships that I've cultivated. And that's going to be really important for their careers, even if they don't cover politics. You know, you really have to understand that somebody you meet today. Could very well be in a position of power tomorrow, and um, you know, to one keep keep that contact and to have a good memory about it, but then also to always be like respectful to people because um, they could help you
0: for sure. And and I, I guess you know the thing that I I kind of fall back on, and and one of the reasons I like you know talking to you on this podcast uh, is, is just how much journalism is changing i mean it is it is evolving it's 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 evolving like everything evolves right and not all the change has been great right i mean there we've been we've endured you know more layoffs than the than the coal industry over the last 10 years but there are also new opportunities and there's new ways of doing things and there's new ways of telling stories whether it's through something like a podcast or some people are you know communicating what's happening in ukraine you know with with tiktok and I also wanted to just uh, make a, a, a little a little plug for another one of these evolving models of journalism, which you're a contributor to and, and another former colleague, uh, Amanda Becker, uh, is, is at uh, the 19th. Talk about the 19th and how that's a I, I feel like that w- the, we were seeing the beginnings of that type of business model you know about 10, 15 years ago, and now it's sort of in full full swing uh, on, that it's a it's a nonprofit and, and just talk a little bit about that.
1: Um, yeah, no, that's actually um, a really. I'm glad that you you asked that question because, you know, both the nonprofit model is is interesting, right? I've seen, uh, as you mentioned, layoffs, right. Journalism is struggling. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons I chose to go into academia because I just felt like I was constantly fighting an uphill battle of you know, profits and um, people trying to st- figure out like what is our, our business model you know, all these different things. And so having um, a nonprofit newsroom, I think, is, is very freeing. And then also having a newsroom with a perspective. I think that it's it's not like a left-right thing. It's, you know, these are the issues that we cover. Mm-hmm. It's gender, politics, and policy. And we're going to lean into that. And so if anything happens, you put it through that lens, much like Roll Call put something, you know, through the congressional lens, through that community mm-hmm. of the Hill lens. Um, that's really important because then you know, you're not going to be the first read on on Ukraine or on the Supreme Court nominee or whatever, some major news story, but you're going to get probably deeper and more focused on on specific things and particularly on LGBTQ plus issues. Um, There's nothing like the 19th right now. Um, It is an organization that just gets to the heart of every single thing. Um, You'll notice if you ever read one of their stories about like the jobless data um, or any government data, It is extremely infrequent when the government breaks it out for um, same sex individuals or non-binary individuals. And that's challenging for the data. And so in every story they'll write, you know, we've asked the government to break this down for us and they haven't. Right. And that's something that like that can actually influence change. And I think that a lot of people just really appreciate that. And even myself, you know, I, I consider myself pretty up to, you know, how people talk in the proper language, um, to be inclusive in, in journalism right now. And every single day, these students teach me something. I learned a lot of the 19th. I I worked with them over the summer. Um, they had a sort of, an opening where they needed some backup over the summer and I'm still, you know, affiliated with them could pitch stories if I ever had time, <laughs> right. but, um, but the idea of, you know, this is, this is the way the newsroom can and should be. And they're also, you know, just a nice place to work, um, with a lot of nice people. Um, and they allow people to be based anywhere in the country, which, Yes, there's something to be in a newsroom. I like that. I love the newsroom vibe and getting to know my colleagues. But there's also something to having expertise all across the country and being able to kind of have regional uh, turf. And if something happens, you can get there rather than have to fly somebody out just from one bureau. Yeah,
0: no, I, I, I agree. And, and it, it also just seems to fit, too, with you. I mean, you mentioned at the at the top of the podcast that a lot of your students are interested in, in telling stories that are, aren't necessarily... Um, you know, the kind of the AP wire type, you know, breaking news, but they're in explaining something, you know, like second takes, we used to call them, right? Where you go a little deeper and and something like the 19th, you know, provides that kind of opportunity. And and also, you know, the Texas Tribune where Abby Livingston is, is working and, and how it has so much of an emphasis on Texas. And even, you know, it, when they started uh, the Texas Tribune, I mean, Texas had not yet, I don't think, Begun its role as the uh, um, the chief challenger of federal authority <laughs> uh, that, right. that that it is now, um, but you know this is and this is I think we're going to see more of this uh, in addition to maybe even a slight recovery uh, among some some of our legacy type publications. When I mean, the Dallas Morning News, for instance, just poached one of our better reporters uh, to go over uh, to work under uh, Todd in the DC bureau here. So, yeah. I mean, you know me, I'm not like the cheeriest, uh, most optimistic person uh, in terms of sometimes my temperament, but it's hard for me not to feel a little glimmer of optimism uh, about where things are going. Um, and it's, it's great having you training the next generation of journalists too.
1: Um, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, I, I admit it's a lot of fun and um, sometimes less stressful than, than breaking <laughs> news in a newsroom. <laughs>
0: Well, Christina, thank you so much for uh, for, for taking a little time. I uh, I really appreciate your insights. Uh, and and whether it's two or three years, uh, maybe I'll, uh, eventually I'll get the the years right. Uh, let's let's not let two or three years go by uh, before the next time you're on political theater. That sounds like a plan. Awesome. Take care.